Just think about raising your margin 1%. You sell your client at 30%, just do 31%. Get off of the whole round numbers, just add 1%. It's not going to change whether they buy from you or not, but it will change how much money you make. And I kind of think about that because you can make 1%, 1%, 1%. It starts adding up to a lot. Welcome to the Promo Kitchen Podcast. This is part of a new series where we are looking into mergers and acquisitions. We're very used to right now seeing so-and-so was bought by, so-and-so sold to. And so we at Promo Kitchen are taking the approach of looking at the process from every single angle. And we are here today with Larry Cohen, who was the owner of Axis Promotions, who sold to Halo in 2019. And so we're looking at this as from a year, year and a bit out from when he originally sold to the process of it. Join me is Andrea Pereira, who is one of our sous chefs at Promo Kitchen. And Larry is actually one of our chefs too. So it's a big Promo Kitchen family podcast here. And so welcome, Larry and Andrea. It's great to be here. Hey, Katie. Larry, why don't you give us a little bit of background about you and how Access came to be? Axis, I guess about now would be about 30 years old. I started the company, had no idea that this industry even existed and was an attorney, but I came from a very entrepreneurial family and had this idea about giving away binoculars in arena at sporting events. And we sourced them overseas. And then I met with an NBA team owner who loved the idea. And he literally called the number two at the NBA. I flipped the next day and they said, we're going to do this with you. And then Six months later, I quit my job and quickly realized that being a one product company was not a great idea. And so I started to come up with some other ideas. And a friend who knew what I was doing said she needed 10,000 mugs for a promotion she was doing for American Express. And I started calling around. I was like, I'm smart. I can figure this out. And someone said there's a whole industry built around this, which seemed kind of shocking to me that there would be until I flew down to Dallas and snuck behind the curtain and realized just how amazingly diverse and fun this industry was. It's like kind of the light bulb went off, like this is something that I could really do. And I think the epiphany for me, and I think this is part of Axis's DNA, is that so many people back then and fewer today, but still a lot of people still think about our industry as a product or as a giveaway or other things like that. And I had taken some business classes at Wharton and I kind of viewed it as this is marketing and this is advertising. It's really part of the whole continuum of what a company should be doing. And so when I started meeting with people, I started talking about promotional products as a piece of their overall marketing and branding of things they were doing. And most people scratched their head and were like, but you're just the giveaway. And I was like, but I'm the giveaway that will actually last longest and keep your brand in front of them. And slowly over time, people started to get it. And sometimes they didn't. And then we would just sell them whatever they wanted. But most of our really great clients came to respect us as marketers and not as people that sold promotional products. Yeah. Swag out of the back of your trunk kind of thing. Yes, exactly. It's really a medium. So that was an amazing start to your journey, Larry. Can we talk about what put you on the path to decide to sell access to Halo? I kind of feel like anybody who starts a company, in the back of your mind, there's always going to be some point where you think like, maybe it'll be time to sell. And you build not thinking that today's the day, but you keep building and building. 
and for me, I loved the journey. I loved so much about the business and growing the business and the people. And you know, we were really blessed with amazing people at Axis. And that's the part I probably loved the most. But I also was one of those people that was very in tune to what was going on in the industry and the challenges of running a business and wanting to continue to improve what we are doing, what I am doing and the services we're bringing to our clients. And as the years went on, I kind of realized that the next transition for Axis was going to have to be something much bigger than what we were because of where technology was changing and the way the business was changing in some ways. And also some of the things that our clients were demanding, more global resources, more technology. And I felt like I wanted to be part of something bigger. So I didn't sell access to get out, right? So people are like, are you working less? And I'm like, no, I'm probably working harder and doing things that I want to do and like doing 93% of the time. And I had talked to Mark Simon probably once or twice a year for five to seven years. We would meet in Chicago, we would meet at PPAI, we would have a drink together, we would have dinner together, and we would just talk. And he would say, you would be a really good fit for our organization. And one of these days, I would like you to become part of it. And I kept saying, it's not the right time for you. It's not the right time for me. And I was always open-minded enough that when the time was right, I kind of knew it. And fortunately, it worked out well. It was a good time for them. And I was also at a point where, you know, I taken access about as far as I could take it. Yeah. And I needed more or else I kind of felt like if you're not going forward, you're probably going backwards because you can't just keep in kind of this steady state. So I wanted to keep going forward. That's really powerful to be able to recognize when you need to call in other troops, when you need to move in a different direction. For me, it was also, I wanted to learn more. As you heard from when I started the company, I didn't come from this business. I came from a family where my dad started his own company and taught us from a very early age how to transact business and would give us opportunities to make what would, as teens, could have been an obscene amount of money. Where he'd say, like, see that tank over there? He goes, you can buy it for $1,000 and you could probably sell it from three to $5,000. But I'll tell you who to call to buy it and I'll give you three people who will probably buy it from you. But you've got to negotiate both sides of the sale. And I think I was like 14 years old. That's amazing. He could find it himself, but he was just like, you know, you got to go do it. Like, you got to make the calls yourself. So I grew up in that type of environment. And also, my ego, I felt like Axis had been so successful, like, you know, way more recognition in the industry than I ever thought we would get. And I got to be on the board and got to be involved with, you know, people like the two of you and, other things like that was just just amazing. And so it wasn't difficult for me to think about at some point turning over the reins of access to somebody else. And, you know, at some point soon, we're going to transition the access brand and become a Halo brand because Halo's going through a complete rebrand. And I knew I had to be good with that the day I sold it. And I was. Yeah, it takes a lot to kind of We've been doing a lot of preliminary conversations with people about this. And one of the things that keeps coming up is getting your ego out of the process and how difficult that can be. 
I'm interested in the process that you went from drinks with Mark in Vegas to, okay, we're selling the company. Was there a specific trigger? Was it like, okay, I need to start planning X years in advance? Where was your, this is what we're going to do, and what were the steps of what you did? I wish I'd done more steps. You know, it's one of those things where you, in your head, you know, you talk about you need to plan for these things, but then life kind of gets in the way and you don't necessarily go through the steps. But I would say, you know, for people who are entrepreneurial or, or own their business, I think starting some years in advance of when you think you want to sell is a really smart way to do it. Because I think there are things you can do about structuring your business, structuring your finances. There are people who run their entire personal life through their businesses, right? That makes it more complicated, I would think, from a someone on, I mean, I haven't been on the acquisition side, but I would imagine on the acquisition side, if you're paying for all your vacations and your cars and everything else, that's kind of messy. And that can impact how much you get paid for your business because anything that's messy, you're probably not going to get full credit for that. And looking at your cost structure, I mean, even as good as a business, I think we ran as we got into the sale process, there were technologies that we were still paying for that we probably hadn't used in like six years. And it was just like one of those auto payment things. And it was just kind of being paid. And I was like, what is this? They go, oh, we stopped using that. And then you add up all those little payments and you realize that was, I think one of them was $10,000. Well, $10,000, you're getting paid a multiple on top of for your business. That's suddenly like, I mean, $10,000 is a lot of money, but then when you start multiplying it, it becomes way more. So it's really focusing in on really best practices because those are the same things that a company that's going to acquire you are really going to be looking for. And the process with Mark was we had become friends and we'd been on some boards together and had traveled a little bit to meetings in different cities. And so I was very comfortable with him and what his vision was. And once I decided to do it, it was actually a fairly quick process. I think at least from Halo's perspective, they do it enough that they are so professional and respectful about it. And I mean that in the best of ways, because I think they're, when they're going to look, at least from my perspective, they don't want to drag this out. It's not comfortable for a business owner. It's hard to focus on your business when you're you know, you're thinking I'm going to sell and I still have to do all these other things. And so pretty quickly, we pulled together some of our top line, higher level numbers. And they came back with an offer that was right in line with what I was expecting. And so there was not a lot of negotiation that went on. I knew some other companies he had acquired. We were right in that same range. He was even nice enough to say, because I'd said something, should we, you know, like I thought about hiring. You know, there are companies that will go out and help you value your business and they'll go out and help you sell it. They'll help put it out to a lot more people. And for me, I was really comfortable with Mark and the other businesses that he had acquired, you know, like Sunrise and other people that I knew and respected. And so that made it really easy. You know, I knew other companies in the industry that were acquisitive and I just felt like this was the best place for me. And even Mark said, you can go hire somebody, but if you do, Here's what it's probably going to cost you. And I promise you that there's not a lot of negotiating in this. And maybe he's just a better poker player than I am. But given what I knew about other deals that he had done and Mark himself, I didn't go out. And it 
made sense. I really think throughout the entire process, it was done very respectfully. It was a lot of work. Is there anything in hindsight that you're like, I wish I'd spent a little more time on that or damn it, like I should have done this and gotten more money out of Mark or? (laughs) I think their offer was very generous, right? So looking back, I think if I'd thought about, you know, because you think about like, did you need to hire someone six months earlier, right? You would have thought about every hire is a greater expense, right? Which lowers your profitability. And they weren't buying access to come in and kind of clean house, right? Some companies get bought and they close things down. They were looking for access to be kind of their center for more growth in the New York and East Coast area. So it wasn't like they were going to come in and cut people. But had I been thinking a little bit longer term, you know, a year or more out, we might have talked differently about investments that we were going to make or how we were going to spend money or you know, even when you're running your own business, you can just kind of sign off on things and say, sure, that makes total sense to me. But when you really think about selling your business, sometimes being more disciplined about how you are doing things, I think one to three years out can really impact what you sell your business from. Because some businesses get sold for revenue, but I think a lot of businesses in our industry are being sold as a multiple of their EBITDA. So the more profitable you are, the more you're probably going to get paid for your business. Larry, it sounds like it was always going to be Mark. So can I ask, did the fact that Hilo is private equity owned, did that play in at all to your decision? Or I know there's been a lot of talk lately about VC and PE funding in the industry versus traditional sole proprietorship ownership. Did that matter at all? Halo itself was very financially stable. And obviously that being part of TPG was part of that. So I didn't give the TPG thought that much. And you know, if I was concerned about what I get paid, then I obviously would have put more thought into it. But I think the part about the TPG side of it is the vision that was shared with me that TPG shared with Halo in terms of what they were trying to build. And I could see from the other acquisitions that they had done, and also a bunch of the new hires that had come into Halo. They had a new CFO that came from, I think, SC Johnson, and the new head of marketing came from Mars Wrigley, and the new head of HR. So they were hiring these incredible people that were really looking to take what was, you know, I guess at the time, maybe they were number two in the industry, but a company that was still looking to transform their business and do things differently than the way they had always done it. In some ways, that's really exciting. I mean, because that means they're still looking to change and to grow and we're open-minded about it. And Mark's pitch to me when we were talking about it was, you have a perspective on the industry. You have a good sense of where the industry is going. I need you to be a voice about that on the executive team because we need to hear more about that. because. They've been around for a long time and there's amazing people throughout the whole organization. But, you know, it's a big organization and it takes time and energy and sometimes new initiatives to try to move those things. And they are doing it and it's been great. I mean, but like you said, sometimes 
you know, it doesn't go as fast as you want. Decisions aren't made as quickly as you would have made as, you know, owner of access, but that's okay, right? And sometimes being more deliberative is better. Very cool. So with that acquisition, how do you value a company that's relationship-based? Since that's really how you built Axis, you talked about how you really did not productize your company's DNA. It was really about the service and being that advocate for your clients. How do you value that? Definitely not my specific area, but I can tell you that the whole process, and we can talk about this in a minute, but we can talk about the process a little bit because I think you're never prepared for how much detail they want. Mm -hmm. But I think it's really about when they're looking at it, and that's why I mentioned kind of one to three years out, they're really looking for a pattern of earnings, the quality of the earnings and consistency of that. You know, you can have a great year and your business could double, but if your business doubled because one of your clients rebranded, well, that's not really a repeatable event, right? So you're looking at how much did client X spend? What's our consistency? So just like, you know, like an American Express was our second client. They're still a client, right? So there's, I mean, there's definitely ups and downs, but they're not a client that's going to quickly just kind of disappear. You never know, but like 29 years is pretty consistent and other clients we have. And so they really go through and they do their own analysis, you know, of all of that. And then they had an outside accounting firm do their own independent analysis of it to take any bias out of the process. And some of it you know is going on and some of it you don't realize it's going on until after it's done. But I think that's how the valuations come about. And then I think the, and again, this is definitely not my area, the multiples that they pay, I think is part and parcel of you know, what's going on in the economy, the type of business that you are, and other things like that. But again, it's not an area that I've ever really been involved in. But just, and going back, it's, you know, it's not as if I hadn't spoken over the years. I bet you we got a call every three months from some firm that was representing, you know, someone on the buyer side or other companies in the industry that did acquisitions. And, you know, I was always a good listener and I was also always a pretty good share, right? I was not a person that felt like, I had to keep everything, you know, close to my chest or stuff like that. So I was always happy to have lunch with other companies and meet with them. They got to know about me. I got to know about their businesses. And we probably almost sold in 2009, you know, kind of when the economy seemed to be really tanking. And I think at that point, I liked the people that we were talking to, but it was probably the wrong time for me. And it was really my wife who was like, I don't understand why you're doing this. Like, you know, it's your company and you can sell it. And she goes, what are you going to do after this? And is this what you really want to do? And I was like, I don't think I'm really ready. And she said, well, then just back out. And we had spent, we'd, it had all been papered. We'd almost got done with all the negotiations and I backed out. And she was 100% right because I wasn't really at that point. I think I was just a little bit afraid, you know, with the economy as bad as it was and other things that were going on. And whereas this time it felt so much different. I think I got to achieve more and was in a different place. In going over to Halo, like obviously you made that decision. You've had a year of being part of it. Admittedly, it's been a year of turmoil with sort of, you know, COVID happening and all that. But 
the transition to them, like what have they brought to Axis and what have you brought that brings value to each one? How do they look at your company and how do you look at theirs? Is there tech? Is there relationships or even just sort of insights? Like you said, they're head of marketing from a previous company. What has that brought to Axis and what have you brought to them? Really just starting this integration process with them because we closed a few weeks before COVID really took hold. And therefore, we basically spent up till a couple of months ago, was kind of like in triage, right? We were just trying to do lots of things. Right off the bat, we can talk about the leadership of that team that we talked about from the top down, including Mark, through COVID was beyond exceptional. It was so much about the people and people being healthy and everybody being safe. And yes, we made some hard decisions, you know, when they were looking at where is there excess, where can we make some cuts? And we did a little bit of that. And that was painful to do, but it was the right thing to do. And Mark's leadership was basically, we're going to do this once. Not going to be death by a thousand paper cuts. We're going to look really hard across every business unit and everybody you know, kind of did it. And then people took pay cuts. I had just sold the company and I spoke to my wife and I was like, look, if I'm going to ask people to take a pay cut, then I'm not going to take a salary. For as long as they're taking a pay cut, I'm not taking a salary. My wife was like, that's a hundred percent right thing to do. You know, and then Mark's leadership through all of that, through town halls, through the communication, we started having literally a call with the executive team every day, four o'clock every day. Like, what's going on? What are you seeing? How are your people? All of those things. And we got through it, you know, really, really well. Overall, I think we were slightly lower than we were the year before. Our team, we had a lot of great relationships overseas and we were able to bring a lot of resources for PPE. So not only Axis, but the overall company, Shamini Peter, who works for us, was really instrumental in helping to do that. You know, she was on the phone with the CDC probably three times a week, making sure our factories were approved factories and the FDA and all this other stuff. So I think that's probably the biggest thing. But, you know, what's happening now is we are starting to integrate more with their e-commerce team. So they have a very extensive e-commerce team. Their warehouse, which is run by Bill Barrett, he's a superstar. And the warehouse is just fantastic. We have a 3PL and, you know, and that's great, but there are some programs we're running out of that warehouse now. And that part's been great. And obviously, as we start moving into rebranding Axis, having their entire marketing team to help, we have a smaller marketing team, obviously, but they'll integrate with that team and help really build out, you know, a lot more resources than we would otherwise be able to do ourselves. So, you know, it's been great because their vision of acquiring a company like Axis is not to lose the special sauce. It's to, you know, add a few ingredients to it and to make it better, as opposed to coming in and saying, you're going to do it only our way. And I think that's the part that makes being coming part of a company like that so much easier and so much better because you can add a little bit to the sauce and then taste it and then add a little bit more. And, you know, and over time, really get acclimated to it. But you know, right now, our e-commerce team is still working with their e-commerce team. So it's really been a wonderful way to kind of 
move and grow together. But COVID definitely slowed that whole process down. So we're really kind of getting into it now. While COVID slowed it down, it sounds like it really still would have been a process after the sale. And I think that that's really something that's interesting to keep in mind as you're thinking about buying or selling a business is that it doesn't stop the day you sign the papers, right? There needs to be that transition period. There needs to be that adding to the sauce, testing, modifying, et cetera, right? Look, the sale part, once you get over your ego and you get through the numbers and everything else, that's kind of the easy part because the only people that are involved, there's probably the owner, your advisor, or your CFO. There's only a few people that can know about it while it's happening. Mm-hmm. You know, And again, if too many people know, it's very unsettling if people know because you can't talk about it in the details. So therefore, while you might want to talk about it with a lot of people, you really can't because they start reading between the lines or they don't read the right tea leaves or all the other stuff. And so you want to try to keep it into a small group. And then once you make the decision, then you need to start selling it to your own team. And again, Halo was great. Their team flew in. So Mark Simon flew in and their HR team was on site and they sat down with people and they spoke to them and the marketing person was there. So it was like they were there so that people could see and could talk to them. And they had a full-blown communication plan. This is what's going to happen today. Here's what's going to happen with their paychecks. Here's how they're going to get paid. Here's how we're going to transition these things. They had analyzed our benefits and were able to come to everyone and say, you know, your benefits are going to be better than they were at Axis. So they were able to put people's minds at ease. And as Mark said, COVID impacted that as well. Because of COVID, they obviously stopped coming because they couldn't. And people didn't fly to Chicago and drive out to Sterling to see the warehouse. So some of the internal sales process also got disrupted because they sold me, but they also need to sell your team because as you all mentioned earlier, it's a relationship-based business and people can move. And that is what you don't want to happen. And so therefore, selling it to your own team members. And I said to everyone very early on, like, you can ask me any question and I'll be honest with you. And if at some point I feel like your job is going to be in jeopardy, then I'll come tell you. I think that your job is in jeopardy for whatever reason, because they've been part of our family for like a long time. And we owe it to them to be honest about it, because in the end, the truth comes out. You can delay it for a little while, but not being upfront about what those changes are and potentially longer term down the road doesn't really help you in the long run. It just delays some of that. The amount of detail that they asked for was well beyond what I would have conceived because it's one thing to say You have really good records and all these other things, but then they want you to review you or somebody independently, and you can pay someone to review all of your contracts and all of the NDAs that you've signed and all the things that you may have obligated your company to. Because in our situation, they were buying the whole company. And as long as they know what the risks are, they make a decision. We're buying the company. We know that this contract is up in two years. So therefore, there's a risk of that going on. Or Axis has obligated themselves to 
this much of a contract for their phone services or whatever it is. And the contract you're signing says everything that you've disclosed, they're willing to accept responsibility for. But if something comes up and you didn't disclose it, that's on you. So that's kind of unnerving, right? You're like, oh no. So I had gone to law school. And so suddenly I spent two weeks, probably five hours a day, literally skimming through contracts. I just felt like I could do it easier than trying to get someone else to do it. But I couldn't go find all the NDAs that I'd ever signed or anything like that. So again, being more organized, you sign an NDA, put it in a folder. You can be organized about certain of those things. And there was money put in escrow for a year, just in case, like in case, you know, something, there was a gotcha moment during that process. Fortunately, there wasn't. (laughs) But it's those types of things that you're not really prepared for. You ever see the movie Defend, I think it's like Defending Your Life type of thing. It's it's kind of like, you know, you go to heaven and you got to like defend yourself. Well, they have experts that are asking you questions about your leases and your insurance policies. And then even though they've reviewed them, they want you to talk about them. And then they want to talk to you about your clients and they want to know why is your profit margin down 50 basis points compared to a year before, you know. So much is beyond our control, right? Sometimes it's just a big order, lower margin can affect things, but you really have to be willing to have that conversation over and over and over again and to be patient as they ask these things and realize that even if you can't answer it, like you've got to be honest about it and just say, you know, sometimes I don't know, there's no good reason for it. And then they'll, you know, most likely move on, but they're going to ask you questions that make you feel like, why are they asking me this? There's a little bit of that where you're like, wow, like I'm not sure why. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> they ran a really good process. They have this thing called a deal room and all your documents get loaded up and they all get sorted out into this very organized online receptacle so that everybody on the team can go in and upload. Everybody on the team can go in and see things. And then as people start analyzing the data, you can start seeing internally what the analysis is. So it sounds like a top five skill should really be keep all of your folders organized, keep all of your contracts, files, NDAs, everything in an easy to find place, even if you're not thinking about buying or selling today. By the way, it's just good common sense anyway, because I mean, it used to be that we'd all sign contracts and they'd send you 40 pages and they'd send you six copies and you'd send them all back. Now it's done, most of it's done digitally. So it's not so hard these days to do it. I mean, I'm sure we had lots of them that were in folders that we had to go scan from years ago. So it's not that hard. Like we talked about 20 minutes ago, think about if someone was going to come in and look at your business and they knew nothing about it, could they easily understand what your business is and how things tie out? Well, tell me about your contract with Amex. Well, here it is. It's We have three years left on the contract. Here's what we've sold year over year. Da, 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 da. Like if you can go through that, those are good things just as a business owner, know to know. And I don't think I was this person, but I feel like I could have been more involved in the details, but that's not what gives me joy. But I had really good people that I trusted to do that for me. But I think, and I say this not only for people who run businesses, but I also think it's for people in your personal lives. Being smart business people with how you do things and spend things 
you know, really important. And, you know, even with my wife, I think there were years where I kind of did all the investing and she was like, yeah, whatever. And then at some point she's like, I really want to get involved and understand what's going on in the business. She wasn't like she was questioning, but just having that knowledge is really important. And I think as a business owner, sometimes really understand kind of the pluses and minuses and where things are going. And probably periodically sitting down and looking at your expenses and making sure they stay in line because, I mean, I've met business owners that all they talk about is how much they sell and they rarely talk about how much money they make. And even our salespeople, we've had business 101 training because the people that focus on how much they sell, you'd be surprised at how little when you ask them how much they actually saved, if they want to be honest. They're like, not a lot because they're not really focused in on those things. And we had this business one-to-one, how do you make more margin? And we literally went through and talked about returning samples. Let's return samples, not shipping stuff overnight, ordering, taking advantage of free ground freight from suppliers and all those things. And we saw people raise their margins three percentage points in a year. Now, you know, we were close to $50 million when we sold somewhere in that range. 3%, it's a lot, right? It's really a big number. And I think businesses, if you focus in on some of those small things, you know, you can raise things and just start small, right? Used to be someone in the industry years ago used to teach something, it's called it the 1% solution, which I think used to be a Sherlock Holmes thing, but that was more about like heroin or something. But he just said, he had to give away these pins and he said, just think about raising your margin 1%. You sell your client at 30%, just do 31%. Get off of the whole round numbers. Just add 1%. It's not going to change whether they buy from you or not, but it will change how much money you make. And I kind of think about that because you can make 1%, 1%, 1%. It starts adding up to a lot. Yeah, it really starts to grow. I love this too, because I think a lot of people, if they aren't formally trained, that their viewpoint becomes very singular. And in this industry, you have a lot of people who fall into the industry or in my case, nepotism is a big thing um, where it's, you know, you don't have formal training, but thinking about it in numbers, I think everyone should really just look at their business from the viewpoint of, could I sell this? Or someone gave me the advice, which I should have taken was, what's the worst case scenario that can happen? And are you prepared for it? So in my case, like my mom passed away suddenly and she was one of our exec team. And it was all of a sudden, like all these balls that were up in the air kind of fell down because it we weren't prepared for the worst thing to happen. So my suggestion for everyone be, you know, constantly think what does it look like for you to hand over your company just straight away and how that looks as well. Yeah, definitely. And I think also, if you think about what you think your business is worth and you can make your business more profitable, let's just say you think your business is worth $5 million. Well, if you can make your business more profitable and you're willing to work 10 more years, you might be able to make that an additional $5 million without ever selling your business just by changing how you run your business or you know how you hire or how you become more profitable and how you invest in yourself, right? So I think there are ways to view, if you get to an end point and realize, I never sold my company, but I was more profitable. And therefore, I started putting money away. I started taking money out of the business and diversifying. And I think that was advice someone gave me years ago. You know, it seemed like everything from my wife and family, most of our assets were in Axis. And at some point, 
I think it was my accountant said, like, you know, you need to start taking some money out of the company and it's okay to borrow, right? Because if you can borrow and pay back, that's a great way to invest in your business, but it's also great to take some money out of your company so you can invest in other things. You might want to invest in real estate. If you're living in Toronto, you told that great story about how crazy real estate is. If you took some money out and bought a house, maybe that becomes a great investment or maybe not Bitcoin today, but maybe it was Bitcoin or the other thing, but at least diversifying your investments so that if everything you have is in your business and then COVID decimated your business, you could be devastated. It's devastating no matter what. But if you diversified out, you would say, okay, I have to close it down or whatever it is, but I've taken this money and I've put it somewhere else. So I have other pockets of things. So it's thinking about it that way also. When you get to the point that you can do that, and on a kind of a similar note to what you were saying, Kate, when I spoke at Common Skew, and it was kind of about the Axis journey and a little bit about, you know, words of wisdom that kind of guide me. And one of them was, think about what you're good at, right? And what you enjoy doing. And this is probably more for people not who are thinking about selling their business, or it could apply to them too, but people who are starting their business. A lot of people get into this business and they're not sure how they got in or why they got in. And then they might have been a really superstar salesperson. And then they say, I can do this on my own. But they don't sometimes think about what it really costs to run a business between IT and insurance and all these other things. And sometimes being a salesperson is the best place for you to be. Because if you're working on commission and you work hard, you can sometimes make way more money than you can as a business owner. And that was my case for many years. And there were many years where salespeople go like, but you make X percent. I'm like, but I'm left with like a small fraction of that. And you made more money this year than I did. And they're like, there's no way. And I'm like, no, there's a big way. And it was funny. I said, so be careful before you start a company to be sure that you want to run a business like that because it takes a lot. And so many people after that was done came up to me and goes, I wish someone had told me that before I started my company because I'm making so much less now. And there are things that I am doing that I do not enjoy doing that I did not realize I hated so much. <laughs> and, you know, managing people is hard. Paying the bills is hard. Making choice is hard. So all of those things, you know, are just things to think about whether you're starting a business. And then sometimes that's the reason to get out, right? You're no longer enjoying running your business. Halo doesn't just acquire big businesses. Sometimes they're acquiring smaller businesses or smaller companies are going to Halo and say, can you just run my business for me and do all the back end work so I can just go out and do what I really enjoy doing and selling? So there are lots of alternatives in the industry you know, for that that I think can be helpful when you're in that moment of Zen, when you're trying to figure out like, what do I really love doing? I think if COVID taught me anything, it's like, Figure out what those things are. Those things are really important and focus in on that. Yeah, dig deep. Well, that's an amazing spot to end at. Larry, thank you so much for this. And any last bits of advice or tidbits that you just want to tell someone like, you got to check out your expenses on this or, you know, big picture. Is there anything that we didn't touch on for this? No. I mean, I think it's really about getting comfortable with doing it. And then I don't know if we talked about this, but you really have to be comfortable with the people that you're selling to. And this may not be the right way to end it, but I'll say it anyway. It's like when you sell your company, you need to be prepared for they may not like you 
and you may not like them. This could be the end of you know, your run within your own company or within the new company, right? So that's also kind of a big leap, which is why you need to be thoughtful about who you are going to join and why you are doing it. Because again, there are companies that will buy you and realize you have a big salary and it's easy to cut. So you need to be prepared for those types of things. I mean, fortunately for me, it's been fantastic up to now. And, you know, I'll end it on a high note that makes me love Mark Simon even more than I did. A few months into COVID, he just sent me a note that just said, I'm so glad we got this deal done before COVID because you're so great and everything we're going to do together is going to be so great. And I'm not sure I could have closed this deal during COVID. And I was just like, you know, here's the CEO running a close to an $800 million business who was thoughtful enough just to jot me a note saying that, which I just was like, you know, it's those little touches that mean so much. And so maybe that's not the right way to end it, but it feels good for me. It's a note of always be look at the people who brought you where you are. So <laughs> I feel very lucky. And I really appreciate you guys asking me to do this. And just a shout out to you guys for all the great work you do for Promo Kitchen. Thank you. Thanks, Megan. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks again for listening to this edition of the Promo Kitchen Podcast. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, you can always get involved in the Promo Kitchen community by visiting us at promokitchen.org. You can also show your support by donating to our cause at promokitchen.org slash donate. We would sincerely appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you.